0: Greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, uh, Jason Mullett. Uh, you can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube and you can search for and subscribe to our channel there. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, uh, just using your favorite uh, podcast catcher. Uh, you can subscribe to our feed there and listen to the audio only through there. Uh, if you uh have a question that you want to send me or a word of encouragement, uh, you can just drop me a line at Jason at logicalbelief.org. Uh, just be aware by sending me an email, you are giving me permission to read it on the air Alrighty, well last week uh, we did not have uh, an episode uh, I had to uh, travel up north on a business trip and so it just didn't work out Uh, To produce an episode last uh, weekend But uh, we're going to knock one out this weekend And today what I want to talk about Is a subject that um, I keep running into I keep encountering uh, both uh, with personal interactions I see it in social media Um, I see it all over the place and it uh, is is really something that just needs to be addressed. Uh, I've had to deal with it individually with people and uh, um, I've written an article also on my website uh, a while ago already that would touch on this particular subject and it's uh, entitled It's Wrong to Judge. Uh, I'm not going to really talk about that particular topic today, but I'm going to talk about an aspect of that topic. And I'm not even sure what I'm going to entitle this episode yet, but uh, it's going to be something like postmodernism and its impact on the church and its effect on the church when it comes to apologetics, uh, evangelism, uh, theology, how we know what's true. Um, our proclamation of the truth—all of these things are affected by this particular vain, worldly philosophy, postmodernism. And um, I actually, what I want to do <clears throat> is recently on Facebook, I actually saw a quote uh, from somebody that I know that wrote something, and I thought that this is a classic example of what. Um uh, the effect postmodernism has had on the church. And so I'm going to use this as an example. I'm not going to um, give the name of the person. Uh, that's not relevant in this, but this is a classic example of what happens when postmodern secular thinking penetrates its way into the church, and this is what it begins to produce. And so I'm going to go ahead and uh, read this quote. Um, we're going to break it apart and just look at it, because this here particular quote really summarizes um, a lot of what um, is happening in, in the modern evangelical, especially American church. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read this quote, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll address it, and we'll go into some scriptural Uh, Grounds and uh, And address it with the word of God So I'm just going to read this here Um, When Jesus was faced By the religious leaders of the day With a woman who was An adulterer Jesus forgave her The religious leaders had condemned her With no hope Jesus forgave her and told her to live differently He offered hope Religion offers rules Christianity offers relationship Beware of those Who are far more intent on proving The correctness of their system of religion Rather than their Offer of love towards those Who follow Jesus and who Need to follow Jesus no one has ever argued Into a relationship with Jesus But everyone is offered His love because of the cross And the resurrection in Christian terms that is called Grace Well, the first thing I want to address in this particular statement is, and then that'll actually, I will basically retroactively go back up and and talk about the previous statement. But the statement this individual made here, it says here that Jesus offered hope, religion offers rules, Christianity offers relationship I really want to address This particular statement This is something That Is, is, is Really becoming a very common uh, Statement made By uh, Evangelical Christians Today And that is the statement that Christianity is not a religion It's a relationship Uh, In fact, there was a video put out a while ago by an individual named um, Jefferson Bethke. I think is how you pronounce his last name. He put out a video that just went viral. Uh, You all may have seen this video entitled, uh, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. What I'm going to do is I'm going to link in the show notes um a link to an article done by Kevin DeYoung who just did a fantastic job of actually addressing this video uh from a from a biblical perspective but this just went crazy among um uh the Christian um uh, evangelical church today and uh um, in fact uh, when i first saw the video 2 3 years ago i myself even shared it um i've since actually gone back in my feed and removed this video but it's this and and this uh this quote that i'm reading from that somebody wrote on facebook um says really the same thing that religion offers rules christianity offers relationship it's this it's this uh Movement going around or This vernacular that's simply Going around in social media And within the uh, um, Social groups of Evangelical churches today That Christianity is not a religion It's simply a relationship Well Kevin DeYoung really addresses this Particular argument um, Quite um, Quite well In this particular article So I will I will link that and I'm going to go ahead and address this, but but actually, before I even get into um, this this quote, um, let let me make sure that I'm explaining to you guys what I mean when I say postmodernism, because I just don't want to use that term and confuse anyone out there. Uh, if if you maybe haven't heard that term, but the era that we're in right now, uh, most uh, uh, philosophers and uh, sociologists and stuff would would Refer to this period of time As, uh, as the era of postmodernism. you had uh, The era of the Renaissance um, When, when uh, Europe uh, Came out of the dark ages uh, You had the time of the reformation uh, Then you had the time of the Enlightenment you know you had men like you know, John Locke uh, Rene Descartes um, I'm trying to think uh, Of some others uh, Francis Bacon. Um, so that was that was the turn the the time of the Enlightenment, and then you came into um, the modernism era, uh, where in the time of the Enlightenment, you also you started to have um, worldviews, uh, more atheistic secular worldviews started to come in in the time of the Enlightenment, but most people still appealed to. Um, more uh, they, they were more deists Instead of Christian theists uh, They They were generally more deists And for example our own Declaration of Independence um, I would say uh, Came out of the The period of the Enlightenment You can see for example in the preamble Of the Declaration of the in- Independence Where it says uh, inali- Inalienable rights um, Are self-evident and uh, given to us by our creator Now these men were not maybe necessarily referring to Now obviously some of the signers of the declaration would have been referring to uh, The creator as the, the Christian God uh, But Thomas Jefferson and um, the author of the declaration itself and, and others that contributed to it were probably more deists Than they were Christian theists And so that was a very popular philosophy During the period of the Enlightenment And uh, then you come into the modernism era Where secular thinking uh, became very atheistic Um, You even had Nietzsche um, Frederick Nietzsche in this period of time And uh, he he basically took (laughs) um, atheistic thought Uh, To its logical conclusion and uh, well it's illogical conclusion, but uh, (laughs) Nihilism complete nihilism. We can't know anything about anything Um, Moral nihilism epistemological nihilism uh, We can't we can't know anything um, About we can't know if we really know anything Uh, We can't really know anything about moral claims. There's no absolutes. Uh, It's a denial of absolutes And uh, Nietzsche's type of thinking really grew into what we know as the postmodern era, where this has become the common way that most of your secular people will actually think. The postmodern era is popularized by pure subjectivism. Uh, You know, all I have is myself, and... I can't uh I you know, we're we're all just subjective beings, you know, we're all just uh have our own personal experiences. You know, your truth is is true for you, and that may not necessarily be true for me, but both of our truths are of equal value, um, which is is just irrational because now you've got this objective truth. They're denying objectivism, but we have this objective truth that says that you know what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me they're still appealing to an objective truth which is what they're denying which is why the worldview in itself is self-refuting and just completely irrational and absurd but that's what postmodernism is we can't know really anything for certain um, <clears throat> you know it's it's wrong for you it's objectively morally wrong which is hilarious but it's objectively morally wrong for you to impose your beliefs upon me and say that Yours are true and mine Are not true you know that's 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 bad you Shouldn't do that you ought not do that Even though there's no such thing as universal Oughts it's um It's really crazy once you actually Start truly investigating um <laughs> The inner workings of a postmodern World view it's just so irrational And self-refuting That it just uh it really is laughable. But the thing that really bothers me in the last 15 to 20 years is this type of thinking has permeated into the church. Now Bible studies are people sitting around going, well, what does this verse mean for you? And, you know, what does this verse mean to you? And, you know, all these perspectives are all, you know, we've got 10 people here at this Bible study. And we're talking about one Bible verse. And there was 10 different opinions about it. And they're um uh, mutually exclusive and they they're 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 contradictory but you know well that's that's good for you that that's what that's how you interpret it you know and and this is how this other guy interprets it and you know all interpretations are equally valid and and true and so we can't we just really can't know what the text is really saying so so hence the the divides between that you know were established during the time of the reformation where Uh, The Reformers actually took positions uh, from Scripture and set them in opposition to what Roman Catholicism was teaching. And they actually said, well, what Scripture teaches is this. Uh, These truths, uh, we've got the five solas of the Reformation. These are truths that are derived from Scripture, and this is opposed to what Roman Catholicism teaches. But today, postmodernism has just has knocked down those those uh, dividing walls of truth, those dividing lines of truth have just collapsed them And so now there's you know most Protestants today are not Protestants of conviction any longer. Um, they're simply Protestants of tradition and so they don't actually believe that their own worldview is actually objectively true in comparison to, Roman Catholicism, atheism, dualism, uh, pantheism, paganism, whatever it is, you know that's just your world view. That's what you think, and you know your your view is just as valid as mine. And uh, and you know let's just all get together and let's just uh, you know let's just engage in positive tolerance. You know um, you have to affirm my world view is true for me, um, or else you're you're just an intolerant bigot, and. Unfortunately that has just completely Permeated our church Our churches today so Out of that comes this uh, Fuzzy Exegesis uh, Where we we just can't really know what What a text of scripture is saying Everyone's opinions are equally valid um, We all you know have just things We assume to be true And uh, you know we can't Really have a solid uh, Understanding of what scripture is really saying So when I say postmodernism that's what I'm talking about so that view has come into the church here's the thing that just just baffles the mind is that the Christian worldview is the belief that God has spoken in time that he has revealed to us truth I mean Jesus himself said in John 14 6 I am the way the truth and the life um Colossians chapter 2 All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Are hidden in Christ So all truth is found in Christ Uh, We have uh, Proverbs 1 verse 9 If I'm not mistaken It says um, the fear of the Lord Is the beginning of understanding and wisdom And so You know we as Christians Should understand that The creator of the universe Has revealed truth to us In such a way that we can know it To be objectively true we're not left in a cesspool of subjectivism i mean that's what that's what god saved us from he saved us from this this uh lostness this this position of where we didn't know what was true we didn't i mean we entertained all kinds of things uh it's my wife's testimony is that uh she she talks about this all the time about how back before God saved her you know she would you know oh well there's Buddhism well you know there's some interesting things there you Well know, we've got Hinduism over here and reincarnation Well, you know some of that sounds kind of interesting and oh, there's a little bit of theosophy and you know um, you know all this stuff sounds kind of good and there was no just no foundation of truth whatsoever but that's what we as Christians proclaim that God has spoken in time, He has revealed Himself and His Son. He has um, He has revealed to us the way that we are made right with Him, uh, and these are all objective truths. Um, but this this uh, philosophy of pure subjectivism has has just come into the church, and which is completely antithetical to the Christian worldview. They just they can't they don't mix. It's like oil and water they, they do not mix with each other And so out of this Pops All these different platitudes now Like, like uh, Christianity Just offers a relationship It's not a religion Well let's address that biblically Because Jesus was a religious person In fact It tells us in Galatians I believe Chapter 2 that he was made Under the law the, the law given by God at Mount Sinai for the religious practices that God had instituted for the Jewish people to follow. It was a religion. And Jesus was made under the law and he followed and he perfectly obeyed that law. In fact, in Matthew 517, um, Jesus uh, tells us that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. Um, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets in many ways he not only did he perfectly obey the law he he was perfectly obedient to the law of God but all the types and shadows all the promises are fulfilled in Christ so he fulfilled the law and the prophets, but he was not opposed to that religious system. It was a religious system established by God. In fact, in um, James one twenty seven, it actually tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And then it goes on to tell the practical application of the Christian religion, and this is to visit orphans and widows and their. Affliction and to keep oneself, oneself unstained from the world. That's in the ESV. I'll read it in the King James here. It says pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. So the Bible teaches us that there are many religious systems out there. But there's only one pure and true and undefiled religious system. And that is the one as revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Um <clears throat> Jesus himself um founded the church. The church is a religious organization. In Matthew 16:18, he uh in speaking to Peter he tells, and "I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." Matthew 16:18. He also established church discipline in Matthew 18. Um, he goes through Matthew 18 through um, through 20. Uh, Jesus established how we should engage in church discipline. How we should take uh, first go speak to our brother personally, then take along two or three witnesses, and if he still refuses to listen, to take it to the church, um, and then if he still refuses to listen, to uh, to treat him as a publican or a sinner. So, um, Jesus instituted uh, the Last Supper, which is a religious ritual meal, um, in Matthew 26, verse 26 through 28. Um, He told us in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, to go into all the world, baptizing them. It's a religious practice. Baptism is a religious practice. Um, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, He insisted that we, as God's creatures, believe certain things about him. Uh, In fact, in John 8, 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So, according to Jesus, do we have to believe That Jesus is the I am. Do we have to believe that he is Yahweh, that he is God? Or else we will die in our sins. So what we believe. Is of utmost importance. I mean, this verse is not up to subjective interpretation. I mean, it says here that we will die in our sins unless we believe that Jesus is the I am. Unless you believe that I am he The, uh, the term religion even um, Is even included in the Bible And in some cases it's used uh, In reference to Judaism For example in Acts 26 5 And uh, by the way some of these references uh, Are linked in this article By Kevin DeYoung So I'm going to link this um, article uh, As I mentioned before in the show notes So you can look some of this up uh, it refers to the Jewish and Christian faith in Acts twenty-five nineteen. Um, uh, it tells us that religion is is bad when it's self-made in Colossians two twenty-three. It talks about pure religion in James one twenty-seven, and I already read that verse. Um, so, the Bible is very clear that Christianity is a religion. Um, a religion is a system of thought and a belief system that has, has beliefs about the past, about beginnings. It has it has beliefs about God, his nature, and who he is. It has beliefs about um, uh, what happens after we die. Um, and so that, that is what a religion is. And so Christianity fits that classification. In fact, my contention would be is that atheists or atheism is also a religion. Um, Atheism has beliefs about the past. Um, It has beliefs about God. They believe or say they believe that he does not exist. It's a belief about God. Uh, They have beliefs about what happens when we die. And their belief system also has moral implications. So that's what a religion is. A religious system of thought and a belief system has impact upon Um, Our moral claims about what we claim to be good and what we claim to be bad. Um, So Christianity is most certainly a religion, but it is a pure and undefiled religion that comes down from the father of lights. It comes down from God, the creator uh, himself. And so to distinguish that Christianity is. is simply a relationship and not a religion, is um, not biblical in any way. Um, The other thing that we have to examine here, actually, it says Christianity offers a relationship. So this really begs the question, a relationship with who? And a relationship with what? Does it matter what we have a relationship with? Could I have a relationship with the uh, Mormon Jesus would that save me doesn't that violate what I just read in John 8 24 where Jesus said unless you believe that I am he you will die on your sins what about the Jehovah's Witness Jesus who's Michael the Archangel the recreated Michael the Archangel is um, is that the relationship that we need to have do we need to have a relationship with that Jesus or does it actually matter who we're having a relationship with? Must it be the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, of the God of the Bible, that we must have a relationship with? D- did this one that we have a relationship with, did he die for our sins? Did he die propitiatory sacrifice? Did he take the sins that we... The punishment, the just punishment that was due us for our sins against Him, did He take those upon the cross, uh, upon Himself on the cross, and suffer in our place? Did did the One that we have this relationship with did did He do those things? Did He rise from the dead? Paul tells us in First uh, Corinthians fifteen that if uh, Christ did not rise from the dead, our our religion is in vain. It's useless. So it sounds to me like the resurrection of belief in the resurrection is necessary. So. When this person here says that beware of those who are far more intent of proving the correctness of their system of religion. Rather than offering love to those who follow Jesus. Who need to follow Jesus. Well. Does. Does this religion that we're trying to prove the correctness of does it involve all these truths are these necessary truths to believe in order to be saved I mean that's the question here are these things no longer necessary are they just now irrelevant because you know it's just up to subjective interpretation you know who knows who knows who knows what is true anymore so therefore, you know, if if Jesus to you is a totem pole in your backyard, but you call it Jesus and you say you have your relationship with it, I I mean, does that does that make it good? Or 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 do the fundamental truths of the religious system called Christianity are there orthodox beliefs that are required in order to be a Christian? Is that even something that um That we should even contend for anymore earnestly contend for in fact, which is what Jude chapter 3 verse 3 says beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So are we saying here that it's no longer necessary for us to earnestly contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints I, I'm i going to retroactively now go up to the The, the, the previous part of the statement here It says when Jesus was faced by religious leaders of the day With a woman who was an adulterer Jesus forgave her The religious leaders had condemned her with no hope Jesus forgave her and told her to live differently Okay The religious leaders that this statement is referring to is referring to the Pharisees did they have pure and undefiled religion No, they didn't because true religion is that which offers to a person who is a sinner and says that if you put your faith and trust in Christ you will find him to be a perfect Savior he will actually save you from your sins And give you eternal life he will actually do that but that's pure and undefiled religion that's not the defiled religion of the religious leaders uh, of which you're right you're um, you're referencing here the problem is you're conflating this you are you're conflating the beliefs of the religious systems and you are putting a person who earnestly contends for the faith into the same category. And that's an error. That is not Christian thinking. The correctness of the system does matter. We are earnestly to contend for the faith. This is the next statement that I really want to uh, address. No one has ever argued into a relationship with Jesus. I would completely agree with that statement. However, I don't believe that that statement is is uh, our agreements are Completely different on this The person who wrote this is not saying um, uh, Is saying that we should never argue Because no one has ever Argued into relationship with Jesus That is that is completely Unbiblical in fact we are to make Arguments in fact scripture tells us to cast Down arguments that Raise themselves up against the knowledge of Christ And we're going to go through some of these scriptures here in a little bit But scripture actually tells Us to do this it tells us to earnestly contend for the faith It tells us to cast on arguments It tells us to rebuke those um, Who contradict sound doctrine um, So scripture tells us to actually Do this um, But the reason that I don't believe th- That anyone who's ever Argued into a relationship with Jesus Is because I believe That a relationship with Jesus Is a sovereign act of God It doesn't not It does. It's not, It's not because of the skill of my Ability to argue for the Christian faith I can give An unregenerate stony heart The best argument For the Christian faith But if God Doesn't remove his heart of stone and give him a heart of flesh He's not going to believe The regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit It's not the result Of my skill and my eloquence In giving arguments The reason that I stand for the truth of the word of God and I earnestly contend for the faith is not to argue people into the kingdom of God the reason for it is to glorify God because God is glorified when his truth is proclaimed see the gospel my friends the gospel's ultimate goal is not to save people from that big mean God that's going to put them into hell. The gospel's purpose is to glorify God. And my question for you is, is that your primary goal? Is it your primary goal in your evangelism and your proclamation of the gospel? Is it that God is glorified? Or is the goal instead... We elevate people above God And we have to save these people From this big mean God Who's going to judge them in hell We've got this completely flipped around if that, is, if that is what we're believing No one was ever argued into a relationship with Jesus Absolutely But it's because it's the spirit of God Who calls people to repentance and faith And changes the heart Takes out the heart of stone as it did with Lydia um, in Acts uh, 16 Everyone is offered um, His love because of the cross and the resurrection Absolutely The offer of salvation Is a genuine offer to all All are offered this In fact Men everywhere are commanded to repent Acts 17 And um, it says, in Christian terms, that is called grace. Well, I'm going to have to contend with this particular um, statement here, too. Um, the grace that we as Christians should be talking about should be Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 grace. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. When I speak of grace as a Christian I'm talking About the fact that God graciously saved An undeserving sinner like me That's what we're referring to as grace um, Grace is not The um, Is not redefined As the uh, Universal Attempt of God to try to Save every single person that, That's not biblical definition of Grace The biblical definition of grace is that God saved undeserving sinners and did not give them their just deserts. Instead, he saved some of them, and he also judges some of them. But it's all to the praise of his glory, and it's for the purpose of glorifying himself and to demonstrate the full range of his attributes. God is not only love. God is also just. And his justice is not sacrificed on the altar of his love. And he's only love. God is good. And in order for God to be good, he is both loving and he is both just. If God was only love and had no justice, then he wouldn't be good. So God is both just and loving and merciful because he is good. So as a Christian, when I refer to grace is I believe that it's not um, grace doesn't mean that God overlooks um, all the bad theologies that every single human being has. In fact, I would argue that every single human being is a theologian. It just matters. It just comes down to the fact is is your theology determined by. Sola Scriptura is it, re, is it Determined by the truth Of the word of God how he has Revealed to us is that what Determines our theology or is Our theology determined by Our own subjective experiences uh, By pragmatism Or or whatever um, A postmodern world view Where you know um, This uh, you know I might believe in God but You know it's it's also true for you that you know your worldview of pantheism I guess is also true so the, <laughs> my contention would be is the Christian who actually says that does not actually believe in the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible created all things including the man standing there that's saying he's a pantheist so the truth of the Christian God applies to that man just as well as it does me and so Subjective postmodernism does not Fit in a Christian worldview No matter how tr- how hard you try To squeeze it into it So what we believe About God is important Because scripture tells us it's important um, Grace Is not that um, God Overlooks and we shouldn't have a correct Theology about God That's not what grace is Grace is the act of God by which He saves undeserving sinners That is the biblical definition of grace Unmerited favor by God Nothing the person has done Uh, Don't redefine grace So I just want to go through um, some scripture And see if the early apostles in the book of Acts And through the epistles um, Actually um, believed this postmodern fluffy um, Don't really know anything to be true and therefore, you know, we shouldn't uh, argue ever. Let's see if they actually, um, let's see if they actually did that. Uh, let's let's go ahead and read um, Titus uh, 1, verse 5 through verse 13. It says, this is why I left you in Crete. He's speaking to Titus here, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to a charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So in looking here at Paul's instruction to Titus, does it sound like sound doctrine is important? In fact, we're to rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. So does doctrine and theology matter? Of course it does it's very clear in scripture let's go on for there are many who are insubordinate empty talkers deceivers especially those of the circumcision party they were having to deal a lot with the Judaizers uh, back in this time they must be silenced so we must cast down their arguments since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain that which they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, this is actually a quote from Epimenides, I believe, one of the Cretans, a uh, prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. So here we see rebuke them, they must be silenced, uh, uphold sound doctrine, and rebuke them sharply. So is postmodernism, thou shalt... You know better not judge It's wrong to judge uh, Which is never taught in scripture And Matthew 7 1 is ripped out of context I'm going to go ahead and link my article on uh, You shouldn't judge It is It is completely fallacious To ever reprimand somebody for For uh, judging If you ever tell somebody It's wrong to judge You are being a hypocrite Because you're passing a judgment upon them You're telling them You're judging them for judging Which is self-refuting In fact um, it tells us In uh, John seven twenty four, Jesus tells us Do not judge by appearance But judge with right judgment We should never condemn somebody for judging We should instead Encourage them to judge with right judgment They need to judge with the word of God With the revealed objective truth Of the word of God That is how we as Christians Past judgment in fact Just read uh, first Corinthians uh, Six I believe or is it Four Um, Maybe it's five four five and six somewhere In there where Paul um, Is telling the Corinthians Can't you judge among yourselves why do You have to use earthly judges In order to judge among disputes among Yourselves Uh, can't You judge among yourselves it is It is biblical To pass judgment We all pass judgments and make judgments Every day the point is Are we making them biblically And we need to judge with right judgment Not with mere mere appearance And not with hypocritical Judgment it's it's actually hilarious To me whenever somebody quotes Matthew 7 1 and uh, Judges somebody for not judging uh, Or for judging um, Is they are in fact Being the hypocrite addressed in Matthew 7 1 because Matthew 7-1 Through I think it goes down to verse 9 or 10 Jesus is telling us to not judge With hypocritical judgment In order, to, Don't judge someone for doing What you yourself do And when somebody Is reprimanding and quoting Matthew 7-1 And actually saying And judging you For judging they are in fact Doing exactly what they're reprimanding you for And they're being a hypocrite They're actually the person being addressed In the passage itself And so, uh, once again, welcome to postmodernism. Um, In Acts uh, chapter 18, beginning at verse 24, it speaks here of Apollos. It says here, And now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John he began to speak boldly in the synagogue but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately and when he wished to cross to Achaia the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him and when he arrived he greatly helped those who through grace had believed once again There we see a biblical use of the word grace, not as it was used in the previous statement that I read uh, from Facebook, but this is the grace the Bible talks about. It is by grace that we believe. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by Scripture that Christ was Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's go back up to the statement here. It says, beware of those who are far more intent on proving the correctness of their system of religion Rather than offering love To those who follow Jesus And those who need to follow Jesus Okay, so let's see here Um, Was uh, Was Apollos here Trying to uh, prove The correctness of his system Yeah, he most Certainly was Um, It says He powerfully refuted the Jews in public You know, the Jews Come out, oh Apollos, you're just you know, you're just trying to produce, you know, prove the correctness of your system. You know, that's that's bad. That's wrong. You should stop doing that. Um, none of the apostles believe this garbage. Um, that's going through the church today. We even have First uh, Peter three fifteen. It's it tells us here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason. For the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. So we need to um, make a defense and we need to give a reason, but we do so with gentleness because we know that God was gentle with us. Uh, God brought us to repentance and faith um, uh, through gentleness and truth, uh, but we never compromise truth for gentleness. And that is the thing that we have to understand um, To be truly loving We must be truthful In 2 Timothy 4 uh, Beginning at verse 1 here Paul is entreating Timothy On um, How he should uh, Operate within the church And he says I charge you in the presence of God And of Christ Jesus Who is to judge the living and the dead And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, or actually reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For there is a time coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That is exactly what has happened today. Paul's prophecy is right on the mark. It says here they will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that is exactly what postmodernism is It is an absolute myth A self-refuting myth Also we have 2 Timothy 2.23 I love this passage here It says have nothing to do with foolish and arrogant controversies You know that breed quarrels There's no reason for us to argue about philosophical things That have nothing to do with the word of God They just breed quarrels They're useless And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome But kind to everyone Able to teach patiently enduring evil The large servant must not just engage In quarrels for the sake of engaging in quarrels because they like to argument Argue we need to earnestly Contend for the faith For the purpose of the faith and to Glorify God not for the Purpose of glorifying ourselves And just engaging in an Argument in verse 25 Correcting his opponents with Gentleness so we correct Our opponents but we do so With gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him To do his will so notice we do this we uh, correct our opponents with gentleness so that God may Grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth it's through the Proclamation of the truth of the gospel That God in his spirit Grants repentance to those who Are hearers and Um and he saves them by his Grace it Says in um it says in First Timothy five twenty. it says As for those who persist in sin Rebuke them in the Presence of all so that the rest May stand in fear when's The last time you saw a church actually do that Um probably be headline news if an evangelical church did that titus two fifteen, declare these things exhort and rebuke with all authority let no one disregard you it says here in uh, jesus this was a promise that he gave to us as believers it says in uh, luke 21 verse 14 it says settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand on how to answer for I will give you a mouth and wisdom Which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict So Christ himself will give us the words to speak When we are in these moments And we are not to fret or be anxious But he will give us the words to speak It says in uh, Acts 9.21 This is after Paul um, had been saved on the road to Damascus It says here in Acts 9:21 it says and for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God and all who heard him were amazed and said is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for those who called upon his name and has not he come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Was was Paul just trying to prove the correctness of his system? Well, he most certainly was. He had pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father, and he was proving the correctness that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Christos is... Messiah in Greek he was the Christ he uh, he proclaimed that he is the son of God and he confounded the Jews with his arguments um, in Acts 13 verse 44 it says and the next Sabbath among Amongst the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying. Um, Notice that... um, Paul didn't have any sort of issue with rebuking these Jews publicly and saying that what they were teaching and what they were saying was false. And it was wrong. He didn't have a postmodern worldview. It says here, And I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, Believed Once again here we see the gracious sovereign act of God in salvation that those who were appointed by God to eternal life were the ones who believed um, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the, their district But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit Notice here when we as Christians will take a positive stand and we say, this is what is true. This is the truth, and we proclaim it to be so. We will be persecuted. But that shouldn't hold us back. I don't know if, if a lot of people's fear today in evangelical churches they just you know don't want people to call them names and, and, uh, and get on their case, you know, persecute them, you know if that's even can be classified as persecution. Um, so they'll They'll adopt the same postmodern Worldview that the people around them have Uh, so as, you know, well, you know I, I believe in Christianity, but that's just true for me You know, that, that's not, that's not true for For you, uh, you know You have your own worldview Um, so As we can very clearly see by Going through repeated Texts, uh, both by the apostles By Jesus himself, uh, going Through the book of Acts, we can see That it is very biblical to make arguments And to cast down um, Those things that bring themselves up Against the knowledge of Christ And I actually want to read that here In Colossians chapter 2 um, it's, It tells us uh, It says therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord So walk in him Rooted and built up in him Established in the faith Just as you were taught According Abounding in thanksgiving See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits And not according to Christ So we can see here that we as Christians need to guard ourselves Against um, vain philosophies And deceits it actually Says um, I like how the King James actually reads here in this text It says beware lest Any man spoil you through philosophy And vain deceit after the tradition Men after the rudiments of The world and not after Christ Uh, I actually want to look up another verse Here I didn't I want to look This uh, I think this is in second Corinthians 10 Verse 5 Let's actually look up this text here um, It says here Yeah in Second Corinthians 10 verse 5 it says Casting down arguments and every high thing That exalts itself against the knowledge of God And bringing every thought into Captivity to the obedience of Christ So this is the duty Of us as Christians it's an imperative It's been commanded to us By scripture itself that we are To cast down arguments that That exalt themselves up against The knowledge of God and the knowledge Of Christ Um, So My friends out there Look out For postmodernism Creeping into your church and into your own Philosophy Cast it down bring every Thought captive into the obedience Of Christ I um i just i hope that this uh was helpful to you, and I hope you are encouraged and if uh you were entertaining some of these uh, these philosophies and thinking um bring it into captivity um, uh with christ and uh repent of it and turn back from it um, hopefully um this uh was helpful to you thanks for joining us today i hope uh um, that things, uh, we'll just pray that, <laughs> that uh, this was Don't a benefit you to you, God willing. We'll be back with you next week. Have a great day. We'll not inherit God's kingdom, and through Adam's offense, condemnation came to man. Then, sir,